Well, last week, as I mentioned, we kicked off this Advent series, these four weeks that lead up to, uh, to Christmas. Uh, Advent just simply means the arrival or the appearance. And we've titled this year's four-week series, All Things New, as we look at the, uh, the arrival of Jesus, God himself coming here to this earth as a baby, and how that arrival changes everything, how it changes our, our past and how it changes our future, and then so therefore how it changes even how we live today in the present. Whatever pains, whatever failures, whatever sin has been in your past, the arrival of Jesus changes all of that, no matter what it is, no matter how big it was, the arrival of Jesus changes that. He washes your past and makes all things new. Now today, we're going to be looking at how the arrival of Jesus changes our future. And then next week, we'll be looking at how that fact that he's changed both of our past and our future, then what does that mean for us today? How do we live today? How does that change how we view ourselves today, how we view other people today, how we make our decisions today, how it makes our present day, the life we live day to day, how we can have a brand new life even today, not just waiting for that future time that we're going to hear about today. We look forward to that future time, but how does the arrival of Christ change even how we live today and having a brand new life even today? So today we're looking at the future and how Christ's arrival changes our future. So I want to pray. We're going to be in Revelation 21, which makes sense, right? We're looking at the future. We go to the end of the book. All right, this is the logical place to go uh, is in Revelation 21 to see how it all ends for us, for humanity, for uh, God's plan for us. So let me pray, and we'll be in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Father, we gather here each week because we need to be reminded of what you have done for us. We need to be reminded of your goodness, your sovereign power. There are many Many things in this world, in this life, that bring sorrow and sadness. There's so many detours in this life that seem to take us off course and just stall our plans and our desires. There's tragedies, there's sin. This is not an easy life. But we have the great hope of a great Savior, the great hope of a great God, a God that we've just sung about for the last 20 minutes or so, just your greatness. When we consider all that you've done, your awesome wonder, we just, we just declare how great you are, O oh Lord. Our soul sings of your greatness as we remember your mighty deeds. And as Sharia read that verse from Psalm 56, that you, you do keep all of our tears in a bottle. Your eye is upon us. You're not a distant God, but you're near the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. And so we open up your word today, asking you, God, to give us and just infuse in us hope, strength, and faith and amazement, and awe, and wonder. Let your word enliven us today. We thank you, God. We love you. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in your word today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation 21, verse 1 through 7. You know, before I say anything, I'm just I'm going to give a, sort of a, a freebie. Um, this is a common thing. This is a, just kind of popped in my mind. Many, many people, maybe you're one of them, you don't have to admit it, uh, but many people say revelations with an S. It's just revelation, right? There's only one revelation from God, right? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'm just, just throwing out, that's just a freebie, you know? Uh, so if you're like, oh, I never knew that, you go, don't, don't, just don't tell anyone, just move on and say, it's revelation from now. I, I've known that for years, right? So revelation, chapter 21. <laughs> There's a few others that uh, as we cross these words over the next few months, I'll, I'll point them out, but that's one of them. So, <laughs> Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen. Church, this is God's word right here. This is God's word. This is truth for us today and for tomorrow and for all the days of our life. And we have to start in this section by looking at the, the very first part here because if something has been made new, he's saying, I make all things new. If something's being made new, we have to know that there must be something that is old that is being made new, right? So look back at verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So, so our current life, the world as we know it, is going to pass away. What we see around and what we experience right now, that's going to pass away. Someday, not only will you and I move on from this place, we all know that, but it's not just you and I, but this very place will pass away. We know this theologically, because it's in God's Word that we just read about, but we also actually see this affirmed scientifically. Uh, if you dig back into maybe your seventh grade science class, eighth grade maybe, you learned about the second law of thermodynamics, right? That everything, this universe is in a state of entropy. It can't sustain itself. Everything is devolving over time. It's running out of gas, that's just, that's a, that's a known fact. The universe is not sustainable on its own. It's on a collision course because it can't sustain on its own. So we know that future-wise, we know we're all headed towards death, including, though, this earth and even the universe. Your life in itself is unsustainable. Death is a one-to-one -one ratio. And the earth even is unsustainable. 
We're perpetually in a state of entropy. Our, our future is bleak for the whole entire universe even. I want you to hold that thought for a second as we just looked at the, the physical aspects of, of our future. We're also going to see something else that is being made new that needs to have some kind of change, something old that needs to change to become something new. Look at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So we're seeing the dwelling place of God come down and be part of man's dwelling place. He will, in the future, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the dwelling place of God will be with man. That means that currently, the dwelling place of God is not here with us, at least not in totality. He is obviously in many ways in our hearts. He resides in us. But in totality, the dwelling place of God is not here on the earth. There is evil. There is sin. There is hatred. There is selfishness still on this earth. Though God created this whole earth and this whole universe, at some point, his presence in its, in its fullest sense has been removed. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. After sin, the, the, uh, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and everything changed. God did not any longer walk to and fro in the cool of the day in the garden, but everything changed after Genesis 3. It's like this. You see, um, you know, this last year, I think over summer, uh, you see some corporations with the, the, the war in Ukraine. Uh, you saw corporations like McDonald's, whatever, pull out of Russia. They're saying, we're not going to support this country. We're moving out. We're taking all of our stores out of Russia because we, we can't be a part of this any longer. That's kind of sort of in a way what happened here. This was God's place. He created this. But then sin and evil enters in, and he's like, I, I'm, I'm pulling out. Not in totality, obviously, but he's pulling out of this place. This place is not for him because of sin, because of evil. And so it is with physical death. We have this physical death that we, are, we know we're looking forward to, even this earth itself, but also spiritual death. You're not just a body, you're a spirit as well, your, your personality, your inner being. So for us, sin has entered into our bodies, our minds, and so we've become separated from God. Just like that corporation's moving out of Russia, we, just, we have this separation from God because of sin. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you buy a product and you void the warranty. Anytime you use a product for not its intended purpose, Right? You take it in, you want to return it, they're like, how come this end is smashed up? Like, well, I was using it as a hammer. Well, you've just voided the warranty. Right? You, you can't do that. And so likewise, for us, we've been given life. We've been made in the image of God, and guess what we have done? We've used our bodies, we've used our minds, we've used our hearts, we've used our words, not for its intended purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God, and yet we've chosen sin. We've chosen to glorify self. We, we gossip. We sin against people. We have bitterness. We have anger. So we've, we've voided our warranty. We've used this gift that God gave us for something that it was not intended for. And so our warranty has been voided. And so we have to recognize that if our inner self is also headed towards spiritual death, then our future is not good. So this is the bad news. But we've been given good news Look back at chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death 
shall be no more. Physical death, spiritual death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. This is good news for us. This changes everything, doesn't it? This is quite a different view of our future. We know that currently, left to ourselves, our future is not good. It's just death in front of us, physical and spiritual, even the universe, death in front of us. But this changes everything. This gives us a completely radically different view of our future. Think of the many things mentioned here that that you've shed tears over. Death, death shall be no more. Death will be no more. What, What things have you mourned over in your life? What have you cried over? What have you had pain over? Maybe your own regrets, your own mistakes, sins you've committed that you have deep regret over, deep pain over, the memory of of painful events that you've gone through, maybe that have been done to you, broken relationships, strife in your marriage or broken marriage, broken relationships with friends, hurts, every single tear will be wiped away. Every single, and and God is keeping all those tears in that bottle as Sharia read earlier, and they're gonna be wiped away. This is good news for us. Pastor Tyler walked us through this last week looking at our past, and as we consider now our future, we need to build a little bridge between Tyler's sermon on our past so we can connect it now to our future because to have a good future, we have to know that our, our past must be reconciled. So many of those former things that you've shed tears over, namely the the sins that we've committed against God and against others in our past, those things have dictated what our future is going to be. We've committed sin, we've voided the warranty, so that, that dictates our future. And if left to ourselves with those things in our past, we're gonna go the way of the world, that the second law of thermodynamics, we can't sustain ourselves with sin in our past. We will die, we will come to an end with no hope and no future because of the past. And we need someone to save us from this because we can't do it. Someone that can bring hope, the hope of heaven back to the earth to ensure a better future because we can't do that. And this is exactly what God came to this earth to do, to change the eternal direction of your entire future. Now, 700 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah the prophet spoke of this day, this great day that God would arrive. He'd arrive as a child and grow to become our savior, to make all things new, to renew the warranty to purchase back what was lost, to bring the rule and reign and culture of heaven back to the earth. We see this in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will do this. This, this echoes Revelation. Right? Look at, back at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the government of the Lord is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So why did Jesus come? Why did he arrive? Why did God arrive on this planet? There's, why was it necessary for God to become a man? There's so many reasons, many reasons, but in light of what we're specifically exploring, I'll just give you a simple answer. God came to this earth to bring heaven back to this earth, to make all things new, to give you and me an eternal future, to increase and sustain eternal peace in this world, in this universe, in our own hearts that will never, ever end. That's what he came to do. That's why the child was born. That's why the son was given, to bring an end to pain, to tears, to sorrow, and to bring an end to the way that things are now. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. It's in your notes. He says, all things sad will be made untrue. I love how he puts that. Because church, there's a lot of true things in this life that are sad. True things that we can't ignore. That's why when I, we started our, our time in worship this morning, I said, we don't, we don't come here leaving our emotions and our pains and sorrows at the door and coming in just kind of rah, 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 sing some songs and put on a happy Christian face. That's, that's not what church is for. That's not what this assembly is for. We, we bring our pains and sorrows into this place. We need to hear each other singing songs of God's greatness. We need each other's voices. We need each other's encouragement. We need to look at the person across from us saying, you know, I know they're struggling too, but they're singing, they're here, they're hearing God's word. And all these things are true, they're true, true, true. Nothing can erase their, the, the reality that these things have happened in your life, but we know that in our future, all sad things will be made untrue. They will be erased. They will be wiped away. Every single tear. We need this picture in our minds. We need this truth in our hearts. We need it every day to shape our perspective. You know, the song Amazing Grace has this lyric uh, in the second verse. When we've been here, speaking of heaven, when we've been here 10,000 years, bright and shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Say, when we've been in heaven for 10,000 years, we haven't even started. We haven't even started. Another song, 10,000 Reasons, has this lyric. And on that day, when my strength is failing in this life, so this has ramifications in our present time right now. On that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still my soul sings your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. We can know that even in this life, when our strength is failing, we know that we have 10,000 upon 10,000 years to be with the, in this eternal peace and joy. I picked up a book about a month ago uh, by Tim Challies. Uh, some of you might know him. He's a, a real prolific uh, blogger, writer, uh, writes a lot of really great stuff. A couple years ago, his 20-year-old son um, was um, at a seminary and um, 
just breathed his last breath. Uh, he was out there just on the lawn at uh, his school with his fiance. Uh, I think they were playing soccer or football or something, just kind of throwing a ball around, and he just, just died. No, no previous health and nothing. I mean, still a mystery even now, two years later. And uh, in this book that, that Tim wrote um, called Seasons of Sorrow, it's just kind of chronicling his first year of just reflection. And uh, he mentions the first time that he went to the cemetery after the headstone was first installed. And, of course, his eyes are just drawn to the date, 2000 to 2020, and just how short that time span is. And, and he just focused on the, the hyphen, the dash in between 2000 and 2020. I, it's right, so right up there, just look at that dash. I know it's not a big deal. It's just a dash. We see those all the time. But he, he looked at that dash, and he thought that dash to him, like, represents his son's life, like what happened in between 20, 2000 and 2020. And that dash is, it's so small, but yet it was so full of life, so much life that went on in between. And so it just kind of didn't really do much justice to the life that his son had lived. And, and then he looked around, and there was a headstone on the left that had a, an 18-month-old infant that passed away. And then to the right, there was someone who uh, had lived 85 years so I was thinking through, you think of, say, for instance, Queen Elizabeth, who just passed away. So her death date uh, was 1926, I think, to 2022, right? And so she would have more dashes, right? She had five times more dashes than Nick Challies. This is what Tim was talking about in his book, just if that's how we kind of viewed that dash. But then he thought to himself the reality the reality of what those dashes are, and he thought, you know, when I think through it really, my son has 2,000 with a small little dash to 2020, but then after that comes multiple dashes. And he said, if that dash actually represented the life that he's going to, that he's living right now in heaven, that he's going to live, that dash would wrap itself around the earth 10,000 times. That's how long that dash would be. And once it wrapped around 10,000 times, it's only just beginning. Because the reality is that Nick Challies is still alive. He's still alive, and he's just entered into this long dash 10,000 times, and it would just begin. Church, this, this life of pain and hardship and sin is so short in comparison to the future that's been purchased for us in Christ. This life is like a vapor, just a mist. James 4, 14, he says this, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It will pass away along with all of its tears. This life can feel like a thousand years. Sometimes, I know many of you have had one day that has felt like a thousand years, but of course we know but for the Lord, 1,000 years to him is like a day. And when we're in our eternal home, this life of suffering, we're going to look back and see that little dash and just feel like this life here just, was just like a day, even just an hour or a second. But right now, it's, it's real. Right now, it's true. But all these sad things will be made untrue. C.S. Lewis also said this. He said, some mortals... 
Some humans say of the temporary suffering that we go through, they say, there's no future bliss that can make up for this. There's just, there's no way. You don't know what I've gone through. There's nothing that can make up for this pain that I have been feeling. But Lewis says, but they don't know that heaven, once we attain it, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Somehow that little tiny dash will be used to magnify the glory of God and our eternal peace as we live out the dashes that are gonna continue forever and ever because Christ came to make all things new, to make all sad things untrue. Now the last couple of verses in this section speak to an incredibly important foundational truth that we need to apprehend every single day of our lives, our eternal, perfect, righteous standing in Christ. Verse five says, he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I'll be his God and he will be my son. This future this incredible hope, it is trustworthy and it is true. However, verse seven says that it's only for the one who conquers. Now we know that in ourselves, we have not conquered. Rather, we've actually been conquered. We've been conquered by sin. We've been conquered by death. And as we try to sort of undo our past on our own. We try to make our own past untrue, but we, we can't do that. We can't erase that. We can't conquer our own unrighteousness. We try to cover up our sin or make up for it or erase it, but we, we just can't do that. If you ever watch um, crime shows, uh, just different you know, crime shows out there, you always kind of run across this time where someone, you know, there's a heinous crime that's been committed in a place and the perpetrator tries to clean everything up, scrub everything, get rid of any evidence, any stains, any blood stains around, and looks pretty good. Uses bleach, all kinds of stuff, even replaces the carpets, all that good stuff. But then, you know, the detectives come in, they look around, and they use this, this product called Luminol. They spray it, and then they turn off the lights, they turn on a black light, and the black light reveals where any kind of residue that the, the human eye cannot see, and it just reveals where these different bloodstains are. It doesn't matter how good and how thorough you are at trying to clean up this mess. These homicide detectives, they're, they're gonna find out where the stains were. And for us, we see that, we know that our sin is, is far more permanent than any physical blood. And we know that God's view, his eyes, his holiness is a lot more stronger than luminol. And so we see that even the, the, the best, all the bleach in the world can't cover up bloodstains physically. We, know, we also know that for us, we cannot cover up our own sin, the stain of our sin. We can, we can change our ways, we can make amends, but there's still this thing in the past. And we can't hide it, we can't change it. But God has done an unlikely, improbable miracle, giving us mercy that we have not deserved that we've not earned. He came to this earth as a baby to conquer sin and death for us, to put death 
to death, to purchase for us the gift of forgiveness and salvation, to purchase for us adoption papers, to make us able to become sons and daughters and be called sons and daughters, to have the heritage that he gives to his children. And he doesn't do this with money or gold, and he doesn't just look the other way. He can't do that. He can't just look the other way. A good judge could never just look away from, from a crime. He has to deal with it because he's a good, holy God, a good, holy judge. But he pays. He pays for that crime. He takes on the punishment, the penalty for sin, the consequences for voiding our warranty. He takes on the effect of the second law of thermodynamics and he faced death, but then he conquered death. He sacrificed himself so that you and I would not have to die, that you and I could live beyond this life so that that, that dash that comes after the day of your death would extend 10,000 times 10,000 years after that date. That's what he came to do. He's erased everything that stands between you and your God, but not with bleach, not with whiteout, but with his own blood. And so when God the Father uses his divine luminol to see if there's any sin that's found in you, that divine luminol, it does actually, in fact, reveal blood, but not the blood of your sin, the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what God the Father sees. He sees the blood of his own son, Jesus. And when he sees that blood, he knows that you've been covered, that you are hidden in Christ. That blood is the ink that has signed your adoption papers. You're a son. You're a daughter. When you trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Whatever sin has touched and polluted in your life, God will redeem and he will cleanse it. That is his promise. Christ has conquered on our behalf. And because of that, when we put our faith in what he has done, we too get to share in that victory. We are not conquerors on our own. We've been conquered. But when we trust in Christ, we are now more than conquerors. We see this in Romans 8. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, as sure as death is, one-to-one -one ratio, death is out there, but I'm sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life or angels or rulers nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. In case I missed anything, I'm just gonna throw in this clause here. Nothing else in all of creation, just to cover all my bases. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors because he has conquered. None of these former things can separate us from our future with Jesus Christ because they're gonna pass away. Your standing in Christ never changes, ever. Church, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're hidden in Christ, if you've been made one with him, if you've been grafted into his body, if he can't change, 
If he can't change, once you're in him, you can't change. If you're in him and he can't change, your righteous standing can't change. Your righteous standing before God, it will fail. It will fail when Jesus' righteous standing fails. Do you understand that? Like, you're, you're standing before God. That'll fail the day that Jesus' righteous standing before God fails. And that's not going to happen. As long as Jesus stands perfect before God, you will stand perfect before God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Your future is as secure as Christ's future is secure. Because you get to share in the inheritance as a son or a daughter. We've been given this heritage. He will be our God and we will be his people. And, and you, you, you're as righteous today in your standing before God right now as you will be in heaven. Think about that. I mean, I know you don't feel that way. I, never, I, don't, I rarely feel that way. But your righteous standing before God is the same right now as it will be in heaven. Because if you've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you and through you. And you live by faith. And the blood of Christ is on you. And so when, when God the Father looks down, he sees the blood of his son. He says, that you are my son. You're my daughter. And that standing does not change in this life. It is sure. It's been purchased. It's been guaranteed you are loved right now with the same love that God the Father has for Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 26, Jesus in his prayer the night before he died, he says to his Father, I made known to them your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known that the love that you have loved me, so the love, Father, which you have loved me, that same love will be in them and I in them. He says, Father, I want the same love you have for me to be in them. This is why we can have confidence in our future. We can have confidence in our future inheritance because of Christ. Our future is guaranteed. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll close with this verse here. This is one of the very first, I think it might have been the very first uh, sermon first sermon series that we went through as a church almost 10 years ago, and it's kind of resonated through the last 10 years as one that comes up often uh, in sermons, but also I hear it a lot from you guys in conversations. I know that this truth has kind of got seared into your, your minds and your hearts these last 10 years, and Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's what we've been born again to. Here's what we've been saved to. To an inheritance, the heritage that was spoken of in Revelation 21. A future. An inheritance that is imperishable. That goes against that second law of thermodynamics right there. This is an imperishable inheritance. It's an inheritance that is undefiled undefiled and it's unfading this world will fade your life will fade but this inheritance is unfading and it's kept in heaven for you you who by god's power you are being guarded 
You're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance is under lock and key under the power of God. Kept in heaven for you, it's, it's like a trust fund, right? A trust fund is, is kept for when a kid turns 18 or 21 or whatever because if the kid gets a hold of it early, he's going to spend it on all kinds of terrible things. So this trust fund says, no, we're going to wait until they can actually handle this inheritance, handle this wealth. Our inheritance is not given to us in this life because we will squander it. If you could lose your salvation, you would. You would. If you're given the inheritance now, you would just squander that. So God keeps it in heaven for you. He says, I'm going to keep this safe from you so you don't get your sinful hands on it. I'm going to keep this here. It is undefiled. It's imperishable. And I'm going to keep it under my power. And I'm I'm going to guard you by my power so that you will get this inheritance. This inheritance, it's guaranteed. And we're given the promised Holy Spirit as the guarantee, the seal of our salvation. Our future is protected. It cannot be lost. So church, we we put our faith in Christ. We put our faith and the hope of our future is always in Christ. Don't let the sins of your past dictate your future. How you view yourself before God. That's false. All things are being made new. Your previous sin has been wiped away, covered by the blood of Christ. Christ alone determines your future. Christ alone. No one else and nothing else. And your future is good because Jesus is good. This is the good news that we've been given. Before I pray, um, I wanted to to recommend something to you guys. uh, And I'm going to send this out as an email this week. I look back... um, because if you remember last Advent, uh, we spent four weeks, actually five weeks, looking specifically at the future. We spent five weeks looking at heaven, our future hope. And of course, it was because of some of the things that happened last year, right before Christmas. So our minds were just in that place. We just wanted comfort and hope. And um, I was watching through one of them in particular, and uh, it just... Um, it's just a huge smile to my face, just an excitement to my mind and my heart as I just thought through just the future hope we have. And part of me wanted just to incorporate some of that, but you know, I, I didn't do that. And I thought, you know what, instead, I'll, just, I'll send you guys a link um, and kind of a specific part that maybe you can watch through. But uh, as you go into this Advent series and you think about the future, uh, you might want to go back to last year's uh, series and, and, and watch a couple of those just to kind of um, bolster and, and broaden and strengthen your eternal outlook, uh, your hope for the future. Uh, but I will send you a link uh, with a specific part that just, uh, it really just, uh, I just lifted up my, my, my soul to the Lord and uh, brought just praise and thanks uh, to God as I, I watched through part of that. So I want to pray now and thank the Lord for that this, this, these great and incredible promises and truths that we have. There are many things that are true, sadnesses and sorrows, but the truth changes even the things that are true. Anything that's true needs to be looked at and seen through the lens of truth. So all these things in your past, yeah, they're true, but truth must be what colors the lens 
by which we see the things that are true. And knowing this future hope we have, as Lewis said, uh, we know that all things that are true will be made untrue, all the sad things that are true. So let's thank the Lord for this. Ask Him just to help us to have this in the forefront of our minds, at the top of our hearts, overflowing from our hearts as we continue to go into this holiday season. Father in heaven, you're a good God, righteous in all of your ways, sovereign in all of your deeds and your works. And as we look at this world around us as it is, we see so much sadness and sorrow and brokenness. And so we are so thankful, so grateful of the many, many, just dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of promises that we see in your word that give us hope for our future. Help us, Lord. We need these truths to rule and reign in our hearts for your living and active word to go to work within us. to cast out fear and to cast out doubt, to cast out insecurities and faulty views of ourselves as we uh, just still somehow live in a, in a way where we, we doubt your love for us, doubt your care for us. We need you, Lord, to, to work mightily in us, to encourage us, to strengthen our weak knees, to be the lifter of our heads, as we look forward to what's ahead and forget what's behind. Our future is good because you, God, are good. And we're more than conquerors because of Christ. Help us to put our faith and our trust in him and him alone. And help us to be salt and light to those around us. And even particularly as we see folks over the next few weeks. Give us eyes to see opportunities that we can be sharing this good news, this great news of a great God and a great Savior. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your great promises. And it's in the mighty and perfect and beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. We ask all of these things. Amen.